Hello, welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast, but appropriately, we are uh, one duo talking about another duo from a bygone era. Jeremy, did you see the Wham! documentary? I did. And uh, yeah, I mean, I got out my fluorescent tank top and uh, <clears throat> feathered my hair and threw in one earring because two is just too many. And uh, and kind of loved every minute of it. It was a good doc. I mean, it was uh, definitely took me took me back to, you know, 1984. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's kind of funny because like, you know, I don't, I, I like a lot of people who, you know, sort of hover in our uh, you know, range of music snobbery. Um, you know, Wham was kind of goofy, and you know, you know, in retrospect, we can admit that they had some good songs. And then George Michael, it's kind of like the Justin Timberlake uh, corollary before Justin Timberlake. It's like George Michael then put out a solo album, and everybody was like, "Oh shit, he shoots really fucking good." <laughs> um, and so, you know, people were reluctant to admit that they liked Wham, um, you know, in part because some of their songs were just too cheery and irritating. Well, I'd say um, millions of people were not reluctant at all. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd you were in certainly was reluctant, and, and we were in was certainly reluctant. No, no, they were, they were doing quite well without my endorsement. But <laughs> I, I will say, though, but it is that sort of retrospective, um, and this, this is just talking about the music, I'll talk about the doc in a second, but uh, you know, you go back and you realize how well constructed the songs are, and and even, um, you know, the sort of musical ephemera that I, you know, pick up over the course of time, the little bits, nuggets of information. I actually really had no idea that George Michael served as the producer for that band as early as their second album. Yeah, and I mean, I would go so far as to say, like, and and I probably could have picked this up if I cared but I didn't about Wham, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, is like, you know, I didn't even know they wrote their own songs. You know what I mean? It was just sort of like, mm-hmm. to me, I mean, they were, they were much more self-made than you would have thought in a weird way. I mean, they were definitely bubblegum and they were going for that. Yeah, but that, that bubblegum, yeah. bubblegum isn't that far off from like, you know, when I was listening to it retrospectively and I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll come back to your point, but <clears throat> when I listened to it retrospectively, is it really that far, you know, some of these songs, are they really that far off bands like the Style Council that I actually really loved? No, I mean, that's a great point, you know, and I think they're definitely tunes off, off of Make It Big that, that have that sound and, and, and just, it's like a lot of times, you know, it's kind of, um, I've had this a lot in my life with bands that I love, like, you know, Replacements is always a classic or even the Pixies to some degree, you know, who have kind of found their place in, in history now, but you just think like, oh, this is why the style can't. What Wham would do is 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 make you understand why the style cancel never had a hit as big in America. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, it just has just a little bit more polish, a little bit more catchiness, a little less, you know, thought put into it. I guess in in some ways, overthinking it. Um, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Paul Weller or anybody like that, but like, I think you understand what I'm saying. You know, it's like these yeah, it's it's just like, it's more jubilant it's more universally appealing right it's like you know dinosaur jr versus you know uh offspring or something i have no idea you know just you know in terms of just like the bad example but you get what i'm saying you know there's something it's it's, it's sort of like there's a genuine 
there's a there's a lack of irony that doesn't protect you when you're in high school. Right. Um, you know, so there were people, and I knew plenty of them that were massive Wham fans, and um, you know, it just wasn't cool to be a cool guy in 1985 and and be like, you know what? Let's throw on make it big. <laughs> right. I do go back and revisit those songs, and and I did that through the doc, and I was actually really looking forward to the doc for a number of reasons, but one of which is I really wanted to sort of re-examine what their actual music was as opposed to because you know again mtv was three years old at that point the visual had overtaken everything and that was everyone's complaint um not mine i was a big mtv fan but i do think that their visuals in a blind taste test would i have liked wham and the answer is probably would have been like that's not that bad you know yeah no and i think you know, I would even put myself as, you know, I was quite young in 1984, but definitely aware of Wham and and watching music videos nonstop. And, you know, some of that obviously was just by nature of having older siblings who had MTV on all the time, you being one of those. But um, and then our, our sister, Lisa, who, who was actually a huge Wham fan and, and saw them live, I believe. Um, ultimately went to work for MTV. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, but yeah, I was going to say. Them. Sorry, real quick, is that I actually did like those songs at that age. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and because they're they're good pop songs, and and you know I wasn't yeah. I wasn't in a place where I was forming opinions on Wham versus you know Style Council. By yeah, you weren't you weren't in second grade. Yeah, you know, I loved Big Country, by tell, Big Country as well. Your, you know what I mean? So telling but, your um, classmates about Lou Reed, yeah, right, exactly. But um, but you know it was, and I also got to just being around older kids, and and you know um with you and Sarah and, and the kids that you guys got, got kind of hung out with how uncool wham was at the same time. You know what I mean? Because I, mm-hmm. I think Sarah's friends group was probably more in the journey camp and you were more in the Smith camp or something at that point, you know, and, and it was, mm-hmm. it was very uncool to, to like wham, but I, I do agree. Like I, I, you know, the minute I think of wham and this is probably a lot of Gen Xers first thought is, yeah, I mean, you can't get, the video for wake me up before you go go out of your head right i mean it's just sort of like it's It's it's, and it was probably one of the better produced videos at the time you know it's Mm -hmm. a super catchy song as well not my favorite song by them but the other songs i kind of forgotten about right i mean even to hear things like careless whisper being a demo that george michael kind of put together and it's a song that completely gets ruined by saxophone to me but that's a damn good pop song you know and oh yeah i I agree and even and even then i was sort of like you know, even the guilty feet have got no rhythm. Uh, you know, yeah, the songwriting I thought was very, cl- very clever, even in real time. And then, um, you know, like he needs my plaudits, but um, it was, yeah, that was a that was a good song. But and that was when, one of the things. I mean, I think we would be drawn to this doc for you know the obvious reasons. It's a music documentary, certainly an era that you were, you know, in your kind of youth, and and I, I was. Oh, very aware of and in, in my younger youth but it's, you know the 80s or something that we you know remember all those little nuances you know and so th- those are huge and then wham just being a huge band and, and george michael kind of going on to have a career post that we both liked I mean, what's funny but what i was those... impressed by was just that how musical they were i guess you know yeah. in a weird way and I, I had no idea you know when you have a, a construct of pop music being put together by sort of people in dark rooms, you know, smoky rooms yeah. for most of your life, I was like, wow, these guys are actually were really talented. Uh, yeah, and it's really, actually, this guy was really talented. Um, 
but you know, style and like you know we can talk about the, the two yeah, members but. no image was was largely fell to andrew ridgely yeah. um you know and the confidence you know he, he was um you know no doubt the oats uh of the oats messina <laughs> uh, Garfunkel, but it, all of those guys are. You know, I only joke about that because they're, they're all those guys are very crucial pieces of the of the you know um, partnerships they're in. But I will say, Ridgely was uniquely not particularly talented. Um, and no, I think he'd say he probably could sing a little. I would imagine, and yeah, he could wrote sing some him. of the early. He could certainly not rap, but like, yeah, he could dance. He, he, as we found out in the in the documentary, he he did write the inadvertently write the uh, chorus to "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go," but it was actually a note he left at uh, for George Michael to meet him out at a club. Um, right. <laughs> but you know, it, it it was pretty you know it's pretty amazing to see what kind of vision and and you know and and Ridgely was crucial uh, you know and and said over and over again um, and I don't think. Um, you know, I don't think there's an ounce of insincerity in it that George Michael said that he would never have made it to the stage if his friend hadn't encouraged him. And I think that's a really cool story. The cool thing about this documentary, and, um, you know, it's not flawless, but the cool thing about this documentary is that, like, you never see, you know, we we are the veterans of every behind the music, every Oh, yeah. um, classic album, every documentary that you can possibly put your hands on, we yeah, have seen. Yeah. And have, when was the last time you saw a feel-good story about a band breaking up? Yeah, it's it's completely foreign to me, actually. And, and not only that, um, I think you were going to mention, too, the fact that the way the documentary was sort of put together and shot is all archival footage and voiceover, you don't even see them, you know, in the there's no talking heads no. which is i mean you see like obviously tons of images of them and, and wham and, and these but i meant like you know you don't have a, a cut to andrew speaking about the time or a producer talking about you know you, yeah, you just sitting in his manor of, house you know yeah pawing the you know in 14th century staff talking about the good old days right um no totally and i thought that was really it was, that was a well done movie in that yeah. sense and then to your point, I saw one reviewer just say, like, the Wham Doc is a, a buddy film disguised as a music documentary, which it really is. And and, uh, and I think that was kind of the the core, obviously, of their relationship. And, and that's something that, you know, has been kind of, in my mind, sort of alluded to, but never really explained. And yeah. what you sort of nailed there was George Michael was, a, you know, immigrant kid who was, you know, fairly goofy looking and, and you know, big glasses and... and Andrew was you know, confident and cool and, and also an immigrant kid, but, you know, just really wanted to be a pop star. And it's like, what he wanted to do? And I think obviously he had supportive parents and and really just liked his, I mean, they were like just best friends. It was like one of those weird yep. things where two kids landed in the same class or same school and were like, hey, you and me, you know, we're, we're going to do yeah. this. Yeah, and they didn't land on it too hard, but I mean, it, you certainly felt it that uh, George Michael's father being, you know, an immigrant from Greece, uh, was not very encouraging and thought it was frivolous and stupid and probably wasn't very kind. Um, and he heard Wham rap and he was like, no. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that's no, that's, that's no rapture. Um, <laughs> that's no one week by the bare naked ladies. Um, but he, you know, I think 
you know, he came around obviously after post success, but you know, but they didn't dwell on all the you know the usual tropes of um, you know people try to hold us back or we had terrible management and we got misdirected. It was really kind of the story of uh, two friends being friends and then you know sort of in pretty short order discovering that one of them was a true standout, was a true star and a genius yeah. of sorts. And the other guy going, hey, don't let me hold you back. I mean, I'm sure there was uglier moments in that transition. Um, you know, you're talking about the egos and jealousies of, of guys in their early 20s. But, you know, in terms of the legacy, I mean, Andrew Ridgely seems perfectly fine with his place in the world. Yeah, no, and I think, I mean, I think to your point, there there was, you know, he alluded to sometimes that, that were hard for him maybe, you know, where George Michael just kind of, you know, naturally sort of took the the lead but he also which i think is very rare in any group dynamic um you know we can name a million allowed like you know saw his friend as is like Blossoming. extremely talented and, and allowed him to kind of take the reins you know and also knew i mean at a very early stage you know where a lot of these guys also the other tendency is to kind of hold on to what you have i mean you're doing so well i mean you look at like you know just Uncle Tupelo popped in my head, right? You know, you had, right. you know, Jeff Tweedy, who's gone on to have a great career, but, you know, really, the last thing he ever wanted was that band end, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, Jay Farrar, who, who kind of took off and, and did his own thing and was kind of thought of as the kind of brain trust. But, like, here you had somebody just kind of being like, yeah, this is not going to last because th- there's no way this guy can be contained by Wham. And and I think, too, you kind of got caught some insight into, obviously, we grew up in the 80s, so, you know, being gay was not, I mean, I didn't, you know, people didn't talk about Elton John being gay, you know, in the eighties, it was just sort right. of like, you know, it was ridiculous and, and, and so on. So there's, there's so many artists that were, were definitely gay. And I Freddie guess, Mercury. I think, Freddie Mercury. Yeah. I mean, I, for the most part, I think everybody sort of knew, but just, you never would say anything. And it was definitely a career killer. Well, um, trust me. I was, the, I was there. People were curious if Boy George was gay. Right. Exactly. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> I actually remember telling my daughters who were much younger, I was like trying to get them to watch the Wham Doc, which they had no interest in. But like, um, but I was saying like it was weird back then. Like, boy George, this was like a you know a man dressed in drag. <laughs> like, <laughs> he dressed as a woman, and it was like you know no way is he gay. Um, but anyways, side note, you know even the sort of re- the dynamic of that relationship where you know George Michael was able to come out to his friend and and his friend kind of understood like hey like this is something that hampers this guy's, you know, true kind of self a little bit, you know, being a, a teeny Bob heartthrob, um, which obviously was a career move and made sense. And I will say George Michael did continue that into faith. I mean, that wasn't like a, a coming out album by any means. Um, kind of was. Probably was. I mean, it was and it wasn't, you know what I mean? You still with that time where I remember those videos very well. And, and it was a lot of, a lot of uh, women in lingerie in those those videos as a young well, <laughs> young yeah. eighth grader well, watching them was on the on the album after that Faith yeah was, I, but i think that know, was more his sort of like i'm not doing this anymore yeah i guess you know when you think back to like father figure and stuff yeah um which can be interpreted m- many ways but the video interpretation was of a male female romantic right. um relationship so and there's no was, no uh, I mean, that was just the way it was. I don't think, I'm not trying yeah. to say he was like, you know, purposely. No, 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 no. There was definitely oriented. not a, no, there was definitely a industrial uh, strength um, opposition to him uh, fully coming out. There definitely was. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, but I, I, I'm in terms of their micro 
relationship between he and Andrew, it, it was very similar to a lot of uh, my friends at the time, you know, people coming out in increments and like, you know, just kind of testing the waters. Like, are you cool with this? And it's like, it's not my, you know, it's not, it has not, you know, I, I'm absolutely happy for you. I just, but it, I have be my being cool with it. It shouldn't have any bearing on, on your life. Right. And I think that was, you know, Andrew's take on, on it, which I, I thought at the time, especially, and, and, you know, again, having but it's a vulnerable success, moment. Yeah. No, totally. But also, you know, the the greater point of them being at the peak of their success when that sort of information was shared or that sort of confession was shared, and having the guy, your partner, in a sense, business partner slash best friend, you know, sort mm-hmm. of, I mean, something that could really sink the band, you know, um, and everything, kind of just being like, take, yeah, do what you need to do here, you know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's okay either way, and. And I think I that was... This, uh, sorry, No, I was going to say, I watched this in a room full of people who are of a little bit older, a similar, um, similar age and experience, but they were all in college when Wham! came out. And, you know, they were just like... I, I just, the, my point being the... You know, when we turned off the television that night, we all four of us watched it together. And everybody goes, that was a really feel-good documentary. Yes. Yeah, it was. It made me happy. Um, and I think if, I, I mean, I really think it boils down to the, the friendship piece, you know, where like, it is. And hopefully most people have that person in their life, whether it's a family member, a friend, or something. But like, it was one of those ones where it's, the, yeah, it's the sort of unconditional, like, wanting you to succeed and not, um, you know, needing anything in return necessarily. And, and I think, you know, obviously Andrew had a great life. He didn't have much of a musical career, but wham. But, um, <laughs> But you know, he I mean, did have one solo album that got absolutely slaughtered. I can't tell you that yeah. I never listened to it, but I just remember it was like the I never saw it got above like a one star rating. In yeah, you can only imagine. I mean, very quickly, you know, and some of the funny scenes, you know, are not funny to him probably, but you know, when, when you have the We Are the World, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the British version, the Do They Know It's Christmas Band Aid, uh, Do They Know It's Band-Aid, Christmas? Yeah, sorry, which we've done a whole pot on, but uh, you know, and. and George Michael just getting kind of front and center and Andrew being thrown in the back, not with like, not with one or two backup singers, but with like 10 backup singers. That he's just sort no, of with like the with. coats. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> Here, can you put this outfit on, please? And stand over there. Yeah. But the other funny thing was, was listening to George Michael's conundrum of, of having, you know, donated oh, his, lent his yeah. voice to this, you know, amazing. And, and at the time they really did seem like colossal league, like, goodwill kind of measures that you know that and we are the world which is a little bit more sincere and a far worse song but um do they know it's christmas seemed to be born of like good goodwill yeah getting around to do something good but george michael had recorded last christmas which i will objectively say i fucking hate that song um and the video uh, was better than i remembered it was so cheesy 80s but anyways go ahead (laughs) But I, you know, that he was pissed that uh, last Christmas stalled out at number two because a whole country had, you know, pulled together its, its, you know, uh, you know, sort of the Christmas spirit and made do they know it's Christmas number one so that they could feed African famine victims and he's like brooding because his song is number two. Yeah, and pretty, having to sort of funny. push it down. It was great, and uh, I think too that was one thing that really came across, especially. Towards the end of, of Wham, you know, 
I, and I never, you know, I guess I don't not assume that the musicians are competitive and, and, you know, certainly have a lot of ambition. I mean, obviously they wouldn't be doing it if, if they didn't, but, uh, but Jesus, George Michael was like a pro athlete in that sense. You know, he, he, he very much was like, fuck this, I'm going to be number one. Um, yeah. and was, you know, and, and, uh, and I think, you know, you forget, like, I think faith came out in 86 or 87, 80, maybe 87. 87. Okay. So, um, you know, that was a, massive massive record you know and and uh and just you could not escape and that really had like six singles off of it that were hits you mm-hmm. know and you, you kind of saw faith yeah i want your sex faith father uh, figure father, yeah i mean and uh and you saw like you know kind of the, the wham could have probably done another record of hits too i mean everything they touched seemed to turn to gold at that point their platinum and um, and this guy was just on a, on a, on the tracks, you know. And it was cool. Mm-hmm. It's always cool to see that when you somebody's so young at that time, and and you and I think for me again, like I never doubted George Michael's talent, but I thought maybe he was a guy who like wrote his first song in when Freedom Ninety came out, and that was his like I'm writing now and producing, and I yeah. had no idea that he had done that all along, you know. No, it's pretty impressive. It's um, you know, and. Uh... It, you know, it, it's funny. I did, he basically this, threw out a Muscle Shoals mix, you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. <laughs> he was, he had his, he knew what he wanted, you yeah. know? And that's, you know, that's the thing. You, you know, it's the, you know, dare I say Brian Wilson thing. It's like, you know, they know exactly what it sounds like in their head. And if you're not getting it, then, you know, then we'll hire somebody else. But I do think it's funny that, like, I, I was only reminded that Freedom 90 is called Freedom 90 because they already had a song called Freedom, Freedom yeah, exactly. by watching this. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah that's, and I, I never, I mean, I swear to God, I never, Freedom 90 is one of my favorite songs. And like, it never occurred to me that it had a, that it was called Freedom 90 because it, they already no, had a song it actually, Freedom. Yeah, it actually threw me off as well. And, uh, and when I was, like, looking to listen to Freedom, and actually both songs are good. Freedom 90 is, is one of the best mm-hmm. songs of the 90s. But, uh but Freedom by Wham is, is much better than I remembered it. And um, I think one other thing, too, was just, you know, the 80s, especially that sort of peak 84, at least in America, it was very much, uh, you know, the, the steroids had gotten shot back into the American system. I, you know, I, I was obviously mm-hmm. young, but it was it was a time where I felt very confident even at like six, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, the go-go uh, 80s. Yeah, definitely. And, and Wham really kind of capped. Because it was like that spirit, you know, cocaine like, in your infamil or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and uh, and the style and everything. It was just like very, you know, it, it. You could take Wham and sort of have it be a stereotype, even though that was a short period. But mm-hmm. that look and that sound absolutely can capsule the '80s for a lot of people. It, you know it lands I mean? you where I mean, if you want to, if you want to, you know. If you want to immediately, in a film or television show, project somebody, you know, tell them where they are in in the in history, you you have several choices. One is uh, wake me up before you go go. One is take on me. Yeah. Um, but there's a handful of songs that just say like it's the '80s. You know, yeah. the opening keys to everybody wants to rule the world. Right. Or you know. They're iconic. I mean, that's what it is. They're an iconic yeah, band. They're definitely. iconic songs. But and, uh, I, I did revisit uh, Make It Big, and it's a better album than I would have given it credit for. 
than my you know tenth grade self would have given it credit for. Oh yeah, I mean it was the you know the only reason I hated it was because you know at that that was the time in my life when you know you wanted to like tease girls because you liked them and, uh, mm-hmm. and they all loved Wham and then you know hearing probably you and and Sarah and people like that you know my siblings kind of think it was corny or whatever. But otherwise, those songs were always good, you know. And, yeah, they have and, a uh, they have a strong. That in, um, I think uh, I was I, never mind. I can't remember what I was gonna say. Um, well, let's uh, let's take a break and then come back and uh, talk about end this. Yeah, definitely. Today is Wyndham and I, and we are reliving 1984. Um, and we just talked about the Wham documentary on Netflix. Highly recommend it. It's a uh, you know, if you're Wham, you don't have to be a Wham fan to just sort of enjoy the the friendship story of uh, Andrew and, and George, and uh, and what became Yog. A, a Yog, yeah, became a you know mega mega hit duo, but also yeah, a friendship that really kind of. Um, Pushed George Michael to, to be the superstar that he he was, and rest in peace, George Michael. Um, yeah. But my one comment this... I, I was just about Sorry, to uh, throw in before that was that you know just so uh, the film was made by Chris Smith, who hmm. made the Fire Festival documentary. Oh right, um, yeah. I did so, not put those two together, but yeah, that, that's a great doc as well. And he has a he's a good he's got a really stylized look to his documentaries. I really like it. So you want to end this the way we end all of them? Yeah, let's do it. Um, do you sure. want to go first? What are you the most interested? Sure. Well, so I am. Wham! Make it big. Wham! Make it big. But I, uh, I'm reading Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, a book that Mom recommended and uh, several other people recommended. So I was kind of reluctant. <laughs> 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 you know, this is. This, I guess I haven't grown out of being in tenth uh, grade, nineteen eighty-five. I was kind of reluctant to read it, but I think it's very, very good. And it's um, it won the Pulitzer this year, and um, I am only halfway through it, so I will I will spare judgment until I have finished. But I am impressed as far as I've gone thus far. I'm also watching Hijack, which is. Um, you know the height of mediocrity that is 100 percent pleasing at the moment and um and full circle i've been watching full circle the new steven soderbergh um yeah you're liking that one. you sound kind of lukewarm on it <clears throat> i'm hoping i will like it it's unfolding in very interesting ways i think it's examining 
um, some fairly unexamined pockets of New York City. Um, you know, it's sort of a it's sort of a cross or you know cross cut between a uh, Guyanese um, crime family, Queens I think, or the Bronx, and um, you know an Upper East Side kind of well-to-do family and how their worlds cross. So it you're getting further and further into it. Um, I, there's some weird performances. There's some great performances, but. Uh, Dennis Quaid seems to be appearing in a different television program, um, and but otherwise, yeah, I would say it's worth watching. Cool. You, what do you? Yeah, I want to check it out. Um, I went and saw the Barbie movie on oh, the tell. night, so uh, yeah, I really, I really liked it. I went with my twelve-year-old uh, daughter and her friend, and um, it was, it was just you know, kind of, I, I would say the. A couple things pre-movie it's kind of an event as people probably read about and i know you have so there was just a a, a fun vibe throughout the theater you know which is rare yeah. in the city theaters and and you know people dressed in pink and, and you know taking selfies with these sort of cutouts and things that were kind of fun uh, i mean you know my daughter that morning had thrown on like a you know barbie tennis club shirt and a pink headband it was just sort of like a, i didn't i didn't even realize it's like rocky it was horror the theater. i was like oh yeah it was it was like an event and everybody in the theater was you know pink all different ages all different you know sort of demographics even um and the movie's really well done you know what i mean it's it it's a kid's film for sure to some degree but it also hits a lot of you know notes for all ages and, and you know anybody who's kind of been around Barbie and Greta Gerwig is smart and it's it's uh, it was one of those movies I found like it moves quickly it hit you know you could certainly like split hairs if you wanted to you know and, and you know, this is annoying or this is you know too sort of woke or this is too whatever I didn't find any of that at all I, I just thought it was like a really good message Fun movie, well done. I really thought Ryan Gosling was awesome. Um, everybody in it is good, and it was a movie that at the end I just sort of walked out of. And you know, having two daughters, I was like, oh, that was a great movie for girls. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I don't mean that because I, I loved it, and I recommend it to you and Christian, and um, and I recommend it to anybody. But you think it's a positive movie for girls? But I just thought that yeah, and I thought like, and it also just sort of was just fun, mm -hmm. you know. And it was it was. You know, a movie that kind of allowed, you know, it's funny, it's fun, and uh, and really kind of nails a lot of things. I mean, there was stuff that I'm sure flew over my 12-year-old's head that I got, and there was stuff that she really enjoyed, you know, as well, and, and, and kind of thought were funny. And, and so, kudos. I, you know, I think it's, it's definitely one of the best movies I've seen in a while, and um, one of the rare times where you sort of walk in knowing that it's supposed to be good, and, and there's a lot of hype, and, and it actually lived well, up to it. In our parlance that we have <clears throat> stolen from Sound Opinions, um, you know, uh, Greta Gerwig's uh, walking up to the plate um, three for three and, and is in danger of hitting a grand slam, so. Yeah, can you remind me? I know it's stupid. Like, I should know all of her films. I love Lady, Lady Bird. Bird. And Little then, Women. Uh, oh, okay, Little Women. That's, I was trying to think. Like, what was the, <laughs> probably the one I didn't see. She's co-written a few but, yeah, no, that before it. that. She co-wrote a couple with, with, with Noah, Noah Bombeck, including this. Bombeck. She co-wrote this with Noah Bombeck. But, um, yeah, but no, and the I three that, that she's, and di know, and the she's, three she's directed are Lady Bird, Little Women, and Barbie. 
And I love Lady Bird. It was. You know, it is, was, I think she one. has like oh, a. Yes. I wouldn't say an earnestness because there's a lot of you know clever, um, you know sort of multi-layered humor, but I will say I think she yeah. has an optimism in her films that is pretty unflagging, and I think that's very cool and I think it comes across. I, I think she likes to examine things. I think she can put a critical eye on things, but at the same time, I think she is genuinely, earnestly a fan of things and, and a, you know, wants to make things that make people feel good without being cloying or, or, you know, compromised in any way. Yeah. You know, it reminded me a little bit of a movie that I didn't love as much as you did, but I got the idea, which was book smart in, yeah. in that way. Um, I mean, very different obviously, but like book smart was, you know, kind of had that sort of a different look on an old kind of subject, you know, and, and, and you know, different point of view and, and I think somewhat empowering point of view at the same time. But, you know, kind of, be, Booksmart, I felt like beat me over the head with that stuff. Yeah. You know, well, and, it was like, we're, we're doing it different. This is the new world, you know, and, and it was kind of like, it is and it isn't, you know what I mean? Like, where I thought um, Barbie, to your point, like, there was like a, an optimism throughout the movie. Obviously, you know, there's it's kind of the point for some of it, but also like uh, it just didn't beat you over the head with anything. It was just well, well done. It was kind of all book smart. It all made dovetails sense. with the you know, and we've had this conversation before, but you know, to me, book smart had a lot in common with you know, like a thirty rock sensibility where, and you know, Liz, um, when Liz Lemon goes back to her high school reunion, and you know, she has envisioned it as like everybody you know, hated her and she was, but what it was, was she was right. actually really clever and mean. And it was kind of, <laughs> you know, people actually had ears and they heard it and they saw it, you know? And, um, I think Booksmart had a bit of that. This doesn't, I don't think Greta Gerwig operates in that, um, you know, in that stratosphere. I think she has a much more sort of earnest desire to tell uplifting stories but she's just really smart on top of it yeah no it, it's excellent i think you, you'll really like it and um, looking forward to it and i yeah highly recommend it and uh but yeah i think you're right and i think some of that maybe you know i'm gonna totally go out of my skis here but even growing up in like sacramento versus you know um the east coast or something i don't know there's like something there that she's it's really freeing. good at telling a story from yeah, the kind of and, preconceptions uh, that that drive you to have to make fun of things that maybe shouldn't be made fun yeah, of. Yeah, it's sort of an age-old thing, right? Where the, the person that's, like, too smart for their school wants to get out and that mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know, and, and certainly know it. But she's she's good at kind of... Um, you know what she's good at is, is sort of not making everything so... The peripheral not as, as severe as yes. everybody else seems to make it. You know what I mean? And uh, where, because when you think back, it just to your Liz Lemon point, it, it isn't always that severe. It's kind of you know nuanced and, and different. She's really mm -hmm. good at that. I agree. All right, you want to throw in a song on the? Uh... Yeah, definitely. Um, I it was like struggling, and then it finally just came to me what I want to put on. So um, I'm going to do "End of the Century" by Blur. Since nice. Blur just put out a new album, and. Uh, and the century is one of my faves. I had like six of them um, piled up this week that I was really inclined. Yeah, I had the same thing. I I, no, I, my mind has gone completely blank. 
Um, I was honestly surfing Spotify while we were talking. Yeah, about no, there's. The I've got to... like, I want this one. I want this one. And then I was like, eh. Yeah, I'm having a hard time. Um, Freedom 90 is another one. It is. Better is be. It? Damn. If Freedom 90 and Faith aren't on there, then what, they both have to be on. All right, yeah. One or both are on. Yep. That's fine. Cool. All right. I don't think it is. So I think I, I'm sure Freedom 90 is on there, but maybe I, if I'm wrong, then I don't know. So be it. All right. All right. Cool. Well, um, we'll be back soon to talk about our favorite albums so far in 2023, and uh, yeah, good catching up on Wham. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.